With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for cover two broncos just a couple dudes breaking down scheme film and the numbers now your host joe rowles Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am joined today by Damian Parson, who writes about the draft for the Crocker Report. If you do not already follow Damian, go to DP underscore NFL. I cannot recommend it enough. Awesome video breakdowns. He covers basically every position. I learn a lot from him. I recommend it. So, yeah, go follow him. I am stoked to talk ball with you, man. Shay, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so right before you came on, we were actually talking about like what you're working on. I want to talk about that really quick, just because I think that's okay. really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, no you're, you're, you're looking at deep, deep threats. Yeah. Yeah. I got an article coming out. Um, you know, I'll be working on that tonight and probably tomorrow. So it should be available as long as our editor is available, uh, either Sunday or Monday It's called designated deep threats. Uh, this draft, and I, I, I talked about it on Twitter a couple, uh, maybe about a month or two ago, this draft class in terms of receiving uh, prospects, there are a lot of speed guys. You know, granted, one of my favorite guys, Reggie Robertson, went back to SMU after he had the leg injury. I was hoping he would come out, but there's a ton of guys that are out there. Anthony Schwartz and just a lot of different fast guys that made. Because when I, when I thought about it, uh, we was talking about talking with it with uh, one of my colleagues, uh, my guy Eugene. We talked about the fact that they're when you hit designated, you usually think about designated pass rushes, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, Alden Smith came in uh, years ago to the San Francisco 49ers. He wasn't playing all three downs. He wasn't playing on those running downs early on. No, they brought him in uh, beside Justin Smith when he, you know, became the, the Smith brothers. 
And he came in on third down, fresh legs, explosive athlete. He was a designated pass rusher early on. And we see that a lot. Guys that come off the bench on those passing situations, you want to get as much speed on the front seven, as much speed on the on your D-line as possible, and you go after the quarterback. So I thought about it, well, you know, that that is a term that we're so used to hearing. So I was like, man, you know, they're specialists in terms of receivers as well. Guys that may not be the best route runners or natural separators to play um, down in and down out, but they can come in when you, and we all see it every, every game, every year, your team driving, they get to the 50 yard line, first and 10, let's go ahead and run a shot play, play action, get, you got single high, you got one-on-one coverage and you're going for the, for the deep ball. You're going for the jugular. And now think about those receivers that can, that aren't going to be every down guys. They're not going to be your fantasy guys, uh, you know, consistently. They're not going to be that receiver that makes a mark all throughout the game, but they're that receiver that, can make those shot plays that can turn a screen, uh, a two-yard screen or a wide receiver tunnel screen into a 50-yard touchdown. Those designated deep threats with elite speed and athleticism to really threaten defenses. So I think that's a that was a fun concept that I thought that I thought about. So I might as well put it into an article. And one of the things I think is really great about it too is the way a lot of NFL teams are building receiving cores now is. And again, it's kind of like a cliche at this point to say you're building it like a basketball team, but like what they mm-hmm. generally will do is they'll try and get a, like a guy at the top who can kind of do it all. They'll try and build around him. What he isn't necessarily able to do, they'll try and compliment him. But as you go deeper down, you're looking for role players. And most teams, what they'll do is they want shot guys. Uh, right. And I know in the Broncos are no different. Like uh, going back to when he was a head coach with the Giants, uh, Pat Shermer used Darius Slayton basically as a slot fade guy. And with the thing, like with Deontay Spencer, probably going to become a free agent. The Broncos probably could use a speed guy who could feasibly play in the return game. Uh, does anyone come to mind, kind of like as a day three guy that might fit that role? Not to put you on the spot. No, you're good. You're good. I mean, day three guy. I mean, well, that's what round five uh, through well, four, seven? Or five. Yeah, four, five through four. seven. Uh, so I think about you know. Yeah, four, four, five through seven. So I'm thinking Dwayne Eskridge, uh, Western Michigan. Um, you know, kind of a short, stocky bill guy, but he has ridiculous um, straight line speed. He can return punts and kicks. He's that guy that you kind of can kick in there on those shot plays or, or those manufactured touch plays and really, truly make a make an impact. Um, and there's, there's a couple other guys, of course, uh, but definitely he's probably one of my favorites because he's not going to – I don't think he's going to – Grant, he had a great senior bowl. He was killing it in, in, in the uh, practices and one-on-ones and drills. I'm not sure that that would be enough to vault him into the, you know, day two range just yet. Uh, of course, it, it, granted, we all know, especially with no, with no combine, the pro days are going to be big, like yeah. really big. So, that- um, so, so that's going to be a big part. One other name, uh, Jalen Darden from North Texas. I've, I've drafted him before. <laughs> 5'9", 170, uh, explosive. Just, I, you know, we hear this term a lot with guys like the human joystick or just, you know, juke machine. He, like, he really is great after the catch, but he's explosive. You know, especially when you give him a free release, he gets up the to top speed really quickly and he sells vertical routes well. He's a guy that you bring in. Um, and, and you can put them on the outside, put them in the slot. Like you said, run that slot fade, um, those rub routes, different things like that. Get him in space and just let him work. And the thing is, too, uh, 
I know a lot of Bron- like a lot of people in Broncos country will say like receiver isn't a need at all because again like the Broncos have Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, like the list goes on. But the thing is, Colton Sutton is a question mark because of his injury history. Like he came, you know, he's coming back this year. Tim Patrick yeah. is an unrestricted free agent after this year if they tag him. So like he, that's a whole question. And granted, those two are both ex receivers. But the thing is, the Broncos have looked and spoken with Rondale Moore already, and mm-hmm. so like that's kind of a sign that they're open to grabbing another receiver. It's just a matter of where, and yeah. and without the combine, with the with we're we're not hearing as much. So I would say like. I'm really fuzzy on where guys are going to land this year. And I think, yeah. I think it's kind of all over right now, but that said, I think it is a, a, a low key need that they will try and address because George Payton, when he was with the Vikings, they took a lot of receivers. Yeah. It, it's going to be, like I said, this, this is probably going to be one of the more unpredictable drafts. Like, you know, we, the most predictable thing in this draft is Trevor Lawrence. Like <laughs> that's it. You know, that's pretty much it. When we get to pick two, we, we still don't know. You know, I, I'm I'm a, a believer in Sam Donald. I, and, you know, like I always talk about on Twitter and, and even on our podcast, I tell I say it all the time. I believe in, you know, fast food is cool from time to time. I, you know, for the most part, I like a, I'd rather have a home-cooked meal. So while that fast food tastes good for the moment, uh, it's not going to last you more than an hour, right? So I, I like to look at the context, the full context of everything. We live in a fast food community, a fast food uh, society where quarterbacks have to be all pros rookie year. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's frustrating. I'm like, guys, you got to allow things to manifest first. I, you know, all Tua had some good games this year, but everybody's like, replace Tua with Justin Fields. And I'm just like, that really doesn't make any sense. I was like, that makes any sense at all. When you can instead use that third overall pick, trade back for the QB needy team. Go, gather more picks and you take Jalen Waddle and you improve your team even more. If I, if I was the Dolphins, unless I can get Deshaun Watson, that would be my strategy. I would look to move exactly. down, take advantage of somebody else trying to get up to get fields. And honestly, that I, I, I've been, I, I just, sorry. I actually just did my first full first round mock to like mm-hmm. this. This will probably drop a day before that comes out. But one of the, one of the things, uh, one of the things I noticed in that, as I was looking at it, Justin Fields should probably be pretty appealing to the Texans. So I think Miami is the most likely situation for Tua, even if they don't meet all the demand or all, all the demands that Houston has. Because I think right now that's what the Texans are doing is they're trying yeah. to they're trying to leverage what they have. Because the thing is, when you when Deshaun Watson says there's no way I'm going to play for you anymore, if you're the Miami Dolphins, why would you give six picks up if you know that they have to deal him? They have. They have. They have to deal them, you know what I mean? In that case, you can wait it out and see if you can kind of, you know, like you can check, play chicken. You know, test his, yeah, you can play chicken, test his poker face so, and, and wait to see what happens with him. It's a dangerous game, though. This is kind of, um, this is kind of, you know, NBA territory, which I have, I'm actually thinking about working on an article similar to that, too. I don't want to give too much away, but that's, that's, a, that's a fun concept that I have rolling around in my mind as well. But I mean, unless it's Deshaun Watson, I'm not, I'm not yeah. wasting that third pick on a, on a quarterback. Like you're bringing, because at the end of the day, like people assume, people really believe that the Dolphins had a great offense. They didn't. Like understand something. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a gunslinger. He, there's no throw he didn't think he can make. Right? Mind you, there's a lot of throws he shouldn't make. So while it was fun this year, and like, okay, they benched to a, a couple times. Yeah, because Brian Flores looked at it like, okay, we have a chance to make the playoffs. So. If Tua's struggling, 
in his rookie year, mid-season's rookie year, fine, let's go ahead and give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod. Let's get him back to the team and see if we can make the playoffs. They they were a year ahead. Like, I just want people to understand. They were a year ahead. No, they definitely were. And the other thing is, uh, Tua, Tua and Fitzpatrick from, a, like, a, like a, the way they approach the game is kind of different in the fact that Fitzpatrick is going to squeeze those balls in. He's, he would fit really nicely on the Broncos' offense, which is one reason why I like him. Because he yeah. is going to give Colton Sun or Tim Patrick a chance, even if they don't separate. And both of those guys can win the catch point. Tua, in college, what he liked to do was go to the guys as they're breaking open. Like Tua would look really great with Jerry Judy again, because Jerry Judy gets open on a ver- like on a horizontal plane, but he's not necessarily mm-hmm. going to win on a vertical plane as often. Like He's not the guy you want to throw go balls up to and hope that he gets it. He'll come down yeah. with some, but that's not how he wins. Like That's not why you drafted Jerry Judy the first. But yeah, so with that said, like, if Miami brings in a guy who can help to kind of add space underneath and then also have Parker, I think Tool will look a lot better as the offensive line develops. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that's all, you know, this is all hypothetical. I do think that it will end up being Deshaun Watson because I think what's going to end up happening is Houston's going to try and play chicken up until the draft. And then when they realize they get to three, I think Zach Wilson will go number two. And when Justin yeah. Fields is their guy that they want and he's there at three, they'll take it because that's the best package they have. That's right. where I'm at. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's where I'm at right now. Um, yeah. With that in mind, with what you just said about patience with the quarterback, though, I got to put you on the spot. What would you do with Drew Locke? Do you think the Broncos are smart to wait it out and give him another chance? Because that's what it looks like it's going to happen. So what I would do is bring in – if Fitzpatrick is available, I would bring him in um, because he is an intelligent you know, teacher, intelligent player, um, and he could help. Uh, Drew Locke. I, I do believe in giving Drew Locke one more year. reason why I say that is, it's a little different to me if Drew Locke was on the, the let's see, the Chiefs. If he was on the Chiefs, that's a Super Bowl contending team, a Super Bowl winning team. That roster is ready to go right now. The Broncos, to me, are still, they, they got, a young, got some young players. The development still has to take place, right? They're in the, they're in the world. Um, yeah, they're in the world. I mean, you, you know, just like how I, if anybody listens to any of, our, any of my stuff, I say this all, I always do a lot of basketball analogies. Yeah. I think back to uh, the, the Golden State Warriors before they ever had Kevin Durant, before people really knew who Clay Thompson and Draymond Green was. They, everybody knew who Steph Curry was. He dealt with injuries early on, but once he got healthy, he started lighting the league up. Yep. And I'll never forget, it was that playoff run. They, they went up against the Spurs. And he was literally going nuts, crossing over Tony Parker, making them look silly, hitting fadeaway three pointers. They lost that. They lost that series. Then that's what jump started them into their championship run, their playoffs run. They had to learn how to win, learn how to close out games, different things like that. And I feel like that's the same thing in the NFL. When you got young guys, they got to know. Okay, hey, it's a four quarter game, man. Like I don't care if we're down twenty one in the first quarter. In the first quarter, we still got three more quarters to go. So let's keep it up. Let's keep our our energy at one hundred percent. Let's keep pushing. We need to score. Get a get a you know a three and out. Maybe a turnover. Score again, and the game gets back within reach. And I think young players, because you got to think about it, coming from college, they're so used to being dominant, right? They're used to going up against guys and and mossing guys and running by guys and just routing guys left and right, which, you know, Jerry Judy's defense, he was still doing that to NFL corners. It didn't really matter to him. He just was struggling with, the, you know, the same thing he dealt with in college, those concentration drops yep. and, and playing with physicality. Well, and, and to be honest with you, Calvin really had some of the same issues. Calvin really got better with that. And yep. that's why I, that's why I want Broncos fans to understand, 
Jerry Judy isn't a lost cause. No, heck no. At all, I, you know? I, I, still, I still think Jerry Judy is going to end up being one of the – probably one of the ten best receivers in football down the road. He my, has I, everything you need. And and for me, like, I go back and forth on this, and this is – like, my, I feel like my Twitter reflects this a lot because I kind of – I feel like I go up and down a lot on Drew Locke. But my thing is, like, if the Broncos aren't going to get Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, like the, the big-time quarterbacks this year mm-hmm. – I like the idea of a Ryan Fitzpatrick or like real competition from the aspect yeah. of Drew Locke is cheap. Like he, I don't believe, honestly, I'm going to be honest. I don't believe in Drew Locke. Like I, I, I think yeah. at best he's going to be like a 20th best quarterback. I don't think that's the guy. I think he's the guy until you find the guy, but that yeah. said he's cheap enough that if you can't find the guy this off season, it makes sense to roll back with him, but just be, if he, if he struggles, be ready to pull the hook. But the thing is, they might be a year away regardless. So having Drew Locke and Ryan Fitzpatrick this year and then seeing kind of what happens in the market or in the draft next year, it's not the worst thing. I don't like it just because I do think that this draft class at quarterback is better than next year's. But I, yeah. I can, there's worse things to do. Like the wor- if they traded for Nick Foles in his contract like the Bears did, that would be a lot worse. So, uh, I mean, And when you talk about competition, I mean, you could look – like I said, I, I would give Drew Locke this year, but I would – like I said, bring in some competition, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick – Heck, I would even look at Gardner Minshew. You know, I because love took, Gardner Minshew. To me, Gardner Minshew is Ryan Fitzpatrick light. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> here if he doesn't get a starting job. I, I am exactly. Yeah. Like neither one of them have the biggest arms, but they don't care. They're gunslingers. They're going to throw it up there, give the receivers a chance. Um, you know what I'm saying? He, he's not going to. He's not a guy that's going to you know take over a franchise. But he he can have a 10 year, 12, 13 year career. Um, and make a lot of money and be serviceable when you need him to be. So yeah. I think you bring him in and he can, he can either him or Fitzpatrick can push Drew Locke. You get, I'm telling you, you bring in another young quarterback in there with Drew Locke and say, listen, if he, if he wins in camp, he's taking his job. Like yeah. th- this, there's no doubt about that. You got to go out there and perform. And see, that's my, honestly, that's my biggest criticism for, I think the way many people view Drew Locke already. And this, like, it's all political. In Broncos country, it's very yeah. political right now. But, like, you you picked him in the second round. Like, and it's a yeah. new boss. Like, you don't owe him anything. And, and I mean, yeah. and, I get, and I get that that's not, like, like, people don't like to hear that. But the thing is, like, you got to think about the team as a whole. And if the quarterback position is the one thing holding back everyone else, like, you need to ensure yourself against that. And that's why, yeah, I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. If, they're, if they really believe in Locke, Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. is a good veteran who he can learn from, but also can take over if he needs to. If they're more willing to say who whoever wins wins, I love Gardner Minshew because I think he is right in that range. I think Minshew's ceiling is in that range of like a really really good QB two or a, a passable QB one. And like for what his contract costs and what you could probably get for him like in a trade, I love it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. As I said, like you know, it's just the simple fact, like I said, bringing in some competition and seeing what what happens with Drew Locke. And, and if he if he rises to the occasion. And he's, you know, because one of the main things, like, I, and I'm a Baker Mayfield guy. I told everyone, you know, after year two in 2019, I said, improve, get, get a better coach, improve the offensive line, and you're going to see a better Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And it took a while because, you know, no real offseason to learn that playbook and learn that scheme. I said, you can't expect a guy on his third offense, in his third offense in three years to just come in and master this offense. I'm like, it's, it could, like, Similar to when Chad Ochocinco left the Bengals and came to New England. He went from a number scheme to a verbiage scheme. And it's different. Now, granted, he was able to pick it up, 
he just, you know, it wasn't a good fit. But that's the, you know, people think every, every fans think that these offenses are similar. It's everything's it's the same. Everything's mad. Everything's mad. And it's like, it's not. Like, if a guy yeah. comes from a numbers based offense where they're looking at their wrist and looking at the number play and like, okay, I know what this is, to where you're going, up in, you're going into a Tampa Bay huddle and Tom Brady calls three plays in the huddle. And it's like, based on what we see from the defense, I'll check, kill, whatever. It's different. And just allow these players to, 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 the, to grow a little bit. Drew Locke has the physical tools. It's all about the mental makeup for me. Yeah. You know, what can, can you mentally and quickly process what's going on, yep. pre-snap and post-snap? Can you pre-snap, see what's happening, put your team and your offense in the right play, and make the right decisions? You know, if you see too high safety and, you know, you give them a little dummy call, kill some things, you know, at the line of scrimmage and try to force them out of their disguise. If they stay too high, run the ball with with, with, Mel, uh, with Melvin, man. Like, run them up the middle and, 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 and test them out. If they – next play, you see them start kind of toggling and messing around with their safety looks, they come down into a, a single high, and that's, that strong safety comes into a box as an extra linebacker. Now I'm going to kill this run, and I'm going to go to a, to a passing play and find a, a, a mismatch into where it's possibly – uh, cover three zone or or cover one um, or man under with one uh, over top. So it, it's just it's a lot of different con- lot of different things that goes into playing in the NFL, playing quarterback, uh, and that, that's my biggest thing with people. But definitely, like I said, I, I think Gardner Minshew is probably the best. Uh, granted, I mean, Brian Schefter would be great too, but I think Gardner Minshew would be a great option because he's a young guy. Yep. If it was up to well, and from a cost perspective, because the thing is, like the Broncos have a lot of cap room right now. But they don't mm-hmm. actually have a lot of cap room because they're they're almost definitely going to franchise tag Justin Simmons. Yeah. They have to play second round tenders on Alexander Johnson, uh, Tim Patrick, and Phil Lindsay, and that eats up almost ten million dollars by itself. And so that's essentially that's like twenty three million dollars between Simmons and the three RFAs. Yeah. And so at that point, if they're going to try and chase Shelby Harris, and I think they are, that's almost all their cap space. Yeah. And again, like with the cap, the cap might go up, might go down, you know, whatever. But if the cap is set at the 180 that it's projected to be right now, like as we as we record this, like they're tight against it just like every other team. And mm-hmm. signing a Ryan Fitzpatrick is essentially going to take them out of the cornerback market and free agency. And right. cornerback, I think you and I can agree, cornerback is the most obvious need on the Broncos right now. They have needs yeah. Yeah. out of the nickel, they have need on long term. They like they have needs all over. Like that that position room has essentially Bryce Callahan, and you're hoping Essing Bassey and Michael Ojemudi develop. So like yeah. they need cap space somehow or and that that that's what makes Gardner Minshew more appealing to me cuz he's cheap. He's on a rookie deal. He's on a rookie deal. Exactly. And I mean and you know the Jaguars don't need him cuz they're bringing yeah. Trevor Lawrence. So, so you call him up and say, "Hey, let me get him for 7 cuz you don't need this guy." Like you just actually you you give them some type of draft capital and and move it, we'll move on there. I'd give them a fourth. I and I know that like some yeah. people will get mad about it, but like I would for the chance to possibly get a serviceable QB two and maybe a QB one this year. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, no, he's, he's more likely to give you something if you pick a quarterback in the fourth round. So exactly. And I mean, I can say with cornerback and I mean, when we did our, uh, the Crocker report, uh, live mock last night, when I had the, I had the Broncos pick and, uh, when it came to me being on the clock and I didn't hit that, I took Caleb Farley. Like, yep. he, you know, he's the best fit to me. And I mean, we're going to talk about Joe Horn later, but he's the best fit to me for what you guys do. Because uh, he's a he's the more, and he's the more fluid out of out of the three. He's the he's the most athletic, and 
he is the he's the better of the three when it comes down to playing uh, zone coverage. Well, so he's able to kind of play multiple coverages. Well, one thing I really like about him too is in a lot of ways he's kind of like there's two, kind of two parts to it. Like I feel like in a lot of ways he's tr- scheme transcendent in that like he can play off, he can play up, he he's big, mm-hmm. he tackles. And granted, this is the other part of it. He's also probably farther away than the other two because he didn't play this year. Right. That said, going to Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel, I would like that a lot, even if they don't survive the year. And like, like if Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel get fired after the year, having Caleb Farley learn under them for a year, I feel a lot better about him going forward. So like, I'm not afraid of Caleb Farley. And I like that he could essentially play whatever they do down the road. If they decide to fire Fangio, granted, I hope they don't fire Fangio. Like I'm not saying that. Yeah, but but I, it, he makes sense to me in a lot of ways. He's one of the guys I feel really happy about if they go that route at nine. And I think that I think that is probably what's going to end up happening. Same. Um, you know, like I said, he, and the thing about what I love about him is because he's a former receiver, his ball skills are great. Like yeah. whether it's uh, pass breakups or just catching the football, he's a natural catcher of the football as well. And his timing, anticipation on throws. Like I've I've seen him mirror receivers and run the route for him because he was a former receiver, you know, and that's kind of um I, I mean that goes back to Richard Sherman when he was at Stanford he spent like his first year or two yep. um in college as a receiver before flipping the DB and that allowed him that helped him in terms of mirroring and matching playing off coverage playing zone reading the quarterback because he knows what the quarterback's looking for in the route and anticipating the route especially with the outbreaking route, things like that, where he can make his jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so since we're talking about Farley, I want to talk about JC Horn just because we're on cornerback. Yeah. There is a lot of, so, so I, I haven't watched a lot of them yet. I've watched two games cause I've had trouble getting film of them, but also like I've heard a lot of discussion about him in Broncos country and mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of confusion about him. Um, so I I like him. I think I like him more for like a 49er type of scheme, like the Seattle yeah. type of defense where he's going to have a chance to really press. He's going to be up on the guy. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like him and off as much. I haven't watched enough to to feel comfortable with that, but I feel better about Sertan, uh, Sertan and off than I do Horn right now. Yeah. Um. That said, I'm not saying I hate Horn. I just, I don't necessarily like him in the Fangio defense as much, but what do you, what do you see? You've studied him more than me for sure. Yeah, when I when I watch him, you know, like you you kind of you hit the nail on the head. He is a physical, aggressive corner in yeah. terms of he fit he would fit in. Um, I think it's Vance Joseph's scheme or what they were running a lot yeah. of times in, in Arizona, playing a lot of press man. You know, you know, just getting in the in the face of receivers, rerouting guys, throwing off timing. He will fit in New England with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick loves press coverage. He will fit more so in a scheme like that where he can legitimately get into the, the chest plate of a receiver and be physical all game long. He's solid to me and off. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to his, like, the thing I look for is uh, hip fluidity, footwork, quickness in that regard, transitioning. And he, and he can do those things, but I don't think he does them as well coming out of being off coverage. Mm-hmm. I like him being able to transition and turn and run and press Rather than, because I mean, you watch him against Kyle Pitts, how physical he is, and, and he gave he gave Kyle Pitts a battle, and, and not not a lot of, you know, I mean, Kyle Pitts worked for him with everybody in 2020, so like he gave Kyle Pitts some trouble being able to get into into his um get into his face, be uh, physical with him at the at the uh, press at the release point, 
um, into the stem and, and just running the, running the route with them. There's a, a couple clips of them just, you know, on the, on the boundary. Kyle Pitts tries to speed release outside. He gets aggressive with him, throws him to the boundary, to the sideline, uses it as his friend, as his helpmate, arm bars him, turns and looks for the ball. And like I said, he's, he's better in a legitimately a press man type of defense rather than a mix and match type of coverages yeah. where you're going to run some cover two, you're going to run some cover three. Don't get me wrong. He can't, his ball skills are great too. He has great, he has really good hands. Uh, you watch him against Auburn, against Seth Williams, and he like was in the mind. It's not like he was in the mind of, of Bo Nix all, all four quarters. And um, which Bo Nix is really not a good quarterback, but still, um, you know, the fact of the matter is he, he was able he was there in press and in off coverage, but I like him more in a press uh, predominant scheme. Well, and the thing is Fangio's, well, there's kind of a couple parts to it. Fangio's job status does mean that there isn't a chance that George Payne just takes whoever that he thinks is the best because mm-hmm. he's not necessarily worried about it. The one thing that gives me some hope if they do do that with both Sertan and Horn is Fanjo is pretty flexible with how he's maximized his corners. Like he saved Prince of Mukamara's career by letting him press up more. So like that, it could work. Um, yeah. but, but, but so one thing you mentioned though, with Pitts, and then we've talked a little with Trevor Lawrence already. So I got to ask you, I know the other day you were really frustrated with how much people were saying generational. And honestly, the only two prospects in this draft class that I see that could be generational, and I'm not even saying they are, yeah. is Trevor Lawrence and Pitts. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I, but I, I agree with you. I think the way it's used in draft Twitter, it waters down the term to the point where it doesn't mean anything. Like, if you hear it all the time, it's, I, it's one of those – I have this complaint about a lot of scouting reports in, in general, is that if you don't understand the language or you're not consistent with the language you're using – you create more confusion than you really help. So like, I try to like, I try to stick to like when I'm describing a trait, I try to stay on that with that. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I don't use a word like generational because I just think it creates, it creates a lot of confusion. Am it I, like, am I crazy? No, no, it, it does create confusion. Um, cause when, when, when fans, you know, who don't know the game, is, you know, on the, on the level that we do or other media analysts do, and they say, oh, man, you know, Todd McShay said that um, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is generational. And it's like, and then you got, I love Dan Olofsky, but, man, when I saw that tweet. He said Peyton Manning and um, Andrew Luck and someone else. All wrapped into one is Trevor Lawrence. And I'm just like, I don't see that at all. I'm like, guys, I see Justin Herbert. That's this, what I see. This is you why know, I hate. I, I hate comp season. I, I, I try to stay away from it unless it feels really natural or yeah. unless I can explain what I mean with it. But I hate when someone's just like, oh, yeah, I see blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, no, yeah. one, no one has any idea what you mean. Yeah, and people are going to run in with that and take and just take it and run with it. And it's just I, I hate the generational term because to me it's supposed to mean special. You know, Lawrence Taylor, generational. Reggie White, generational. To me, J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, those are generational guys. Guys that we see, there's clips of Aaron Donald being triple and even quadruple team at times, right? That's, you're, you're not just a good to great player and get that type of coverage. Yep. That's generational. Peyton Manning, generational. Tom Brady, generational. To me personally, Patrick Mahomes already has proven it from yes. a skill set standpoint. He's generational. And there's things, I'm going to be honest with you, there, there, are, there are plays, there are throws. 
that that he makes that I don't believe Trevor Lawrence can make. I don't you know think from a, him. from there's, a from an arm talent standpoint. There's no way, like no, absolutely he, not. People people will get mad about this because like the whole like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, like both Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson have made throws that Patrick Mahomes has made. So like sometimes when people share the throws that Mahomes makes and like this whole like breathless like oh, Mahomes, yeah. it does it is kind of annoying because some of it is yeah. it, some of it's hyperbole, but like the Super Bowl throw where he's sideways making a throw into the end zone and he goes thirty yards, like no one makes that. That's a little brawn play. Like that, and, and I see that as somebody who hates Patrick Mahomes because he's the reason my team isn't relevant. But <laughs> but he's so good. You can't you can't you can't deny that he's just he's such a special talent. He is, he is. And that throw just is a microcosm of, of just who he is. Yep. He is an elite talent. And he is a generational talent. Because you're not gonna see guys making that throw. They are legitimately horizontal to the ground and make a sidearm throw while going to the ground. And it's a perfect spiral and it's on the money, but your receiver drops it. You know yep. what I'm saying? Like that is not normal. And, and that's what generational is. It's not normal. Yep. So, because what you can show me on tape for Trevor Lawrence, I can go back and show you on tape that Justin Herbert did the exact same thing. Yep. That that arm, that, that legit arm talent to make those tight frozen rope type of throws, the mobility and everything, Justin Herbert, had all of that as well. He just played in a system that was more horizontal than vertical. So when he came into the league, and he's in your division as well, um, and he's with the Chargers, and, and Anthony Lindham said, you know what, push the ball downfield, young fella. And he's like, finally, I get to let my talent show. And he's out here throwing dimes downfield to his talented receiver core. That's what we could see from Trevor Lawrence. Yep. So it's like, I, it's not like I didn't see him before. And, 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 and to your point, because I think this is a great point, this isn't to say that Trevor Lawrence isn't special. No. It's just that he's not I, – I, and again, I haven't studied him yet because, first of all, I don't think Denver has a chance at him, so I'm trying to prioritize time a little bit. But, but, but the thing is, like, when I've watched Trevor Lawrence, I think he's special. Like, if I was the Jacksonville Jaguars, like, there's no doubt I'd take him. But, yeah, that's yeah, it. I don't, but I don't think he's bringing a skill set into the league that we haven't seen before. No, that's no, that's, no, that's no. what's different, and that's that's why I think the generational term is overused. Because again, like in this class, and again, I haven't studied him either. Because again, Denver has no fan, and they have you know all the receivers. But that's why I think Kyle Pitts probably has the best chance. Yes, yes. Uh, just because, like, look what he is. Like he's unguardable. We haven't seen a tight end like him. Like I mean, I know like, <laughs> my guy Hagler. Over at Crockford, he's like he's a receiver, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I mean, to be fair, like I mean, when you look at his receiving, his actual skill set, you can say, it, but he does block. He can block a little bit. You don't want him matched up against these power rushers. No, no, God, no, that's not his game. He's, but he, we haven't seen a guy like do what he's able to do coming out of college. I think he's a prototype joker, is what he is. And again, like, yeah. and 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 again, I don't know yet if that's. I haven't studied him, so I can't tell you that's generational. But he's the best possible version I have seen in the games I have watched of what like mm-hmm. a Noah Fant was, like what you can do with like an Eric Ebron type, like where you can move him yeah. around the formation, you can use him as a slot, you can use him out wide, you can use him on the line. A good offensive coordinator is going to make him destroy people if he continues to on the trajectory that we saw last year. You're gonna you're gonna have him in a lot of different. They're gonna move him everywhere if they're I mean, smart. So if they're smart, they're gonna move him. I mean, and that's a. 
I, I got to say, that's what frustrates me about NFL coaching. You, you see a prospect, such an offensive prospect, and like today, if you check my Twitter, I have Jamar Chase fans just like losing their minds over my, you know, tweet about Devonta Smith. And it is what it is. Like, guys, get over it. But, um, you know, you know, I look at Kyle Pitts and like you, you see him just out wide against not even just linebackers, right? Yep. You go back to 2019 against LSU, he played against Byron Stingley. He, he beat Byron Stingley multiple times. This year against South Carolina, not only did he have success at times against J.C. Horn, he went up against, against Israel Mukwamu and had success as well. Yep. Like he faces corners, safeties, and linebackers, and no he still corner. wins. Yep. Nobody's able to, to, to truly cover him. And so that's my frustrating thing with the NFL coaches. You see how a guy is using it in, in, in college. Use them like that in the NFL. Take your ego out of it and, and mold your scheme. Like schemes should be moldable around the talent that you bring in. That's why I get so frustrated with Bill Belichick and that offense and, and, and just, you know, Patriots offense. We can't be just a West Coast quick quick strike type of offense throwing every three, four, or five yards. Teams are going to press cover you when you don't have guys that, that can't separate, which we what, saw this year and what, the year before. What's interesting about the Patriots offense being like that too is the fact that their defense is so fluid. Pitts to me is like potentially the one generational guy in this class. I think Trevor Lawrence could be. I just don't necessarily think huh. he's a generational talent. Like, I don't think he's bringing something we haven't seen. No, um, no. But so so moving moving beyond that, because, I, again, thinking about Kyle Pitts and Trevor Lawrence makes me sad because I'm going to probably watch <laughs> Drew Locke this year. Uh, you mentioned Melvin Gordon. And I, and I got to add, like, so the way Melvin Gordon's contract situation is with the, with the DUI, it, it sounds like from local media, it sounds like the Broncos are going to actually take away his guarantees. They're going to avoid his guarantees if he ends up facing discipline mm. for the DUI. And granted, the way his trial is set up, it won't happen during free agency. So the Broncos aren't going to end up probably cutting him and then chasing a veteran. If they do yeah. this, it'll be in the draft. So I've only just begun, but I watched Javante Williams. I am a big fan of Javante Williams. Are there other backs who could be like a Melvin Gordon type if the Broncos go that way? Do you do you see any others? Um, yeah, you know, some, I'm going to tell you right now. So it's a couple guys. This is a good running back class. I know coming into the draft, people are not really extremely high on them. They have some players here that can step in and be that bell cow type of back or, or at least, you know, that, that power back, brings that power, yeah. um, that burst. So, I, you know, you know, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma – uh, 5'11", he played, uh, he played at like 240, I believe, and then he Ooh. cut weight uh, coming into the senior bowl. He dropped from 240 to 227, and, and he was, you know, he's a, like, he's a battering ram, like, physical downhill runner, but he's got quickness to his game as well. That's why I comped him when he's, like, especially at the 227, I comped him to a, um, a slim Eddie Lacy. Okay. You know, powerful downhill runner, quick feet, can be decisive and soft hands in the passing game as well, where he can make those plays. One thing guy, I, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, one thing I really like about Riley's offense, too, is he mixes a lot of different rushing concepts, which is what the Broncos also do with Mike Munchak and Shermer. So, like, yeah, yeah. that's one thing I like about Williams. It's like Williams is – you can see him using a lot of the concepts that he would be using in the Broncos offense. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, another running back you could look at as well, going to Ohio State. I, I Trey Sermon. He was at Oklahoma before he transferred in, and like he started off the season kind of slow, but he hit his striving around Michigan State. They had over 100 yards there. Then you had 300 yards against Northwestern. 
100, almost 200, if not 200 yards against uh, Clemson. He destroyed Clemson. Then he got hurt on the first his first carry against Alabama. I think it was a collarbone or something like that. So, like, he's another guy. Um, you know, he's, he, he does well, patient runner, especially when you're in pin, uh, uh, pin and pull, um, you know, type of plays where you got line, uh, you know, two linemen pulling. He's patient, following his blocks. And the and he's, he's physical. He's a physical runner as well. Just, you, <clears throat> excuse me. You turn on the tape against Clemson, and he, the way he was finishing runs, it, it sets a tone for our offense. You know what I mean? And someone for me, like me, I played running back growing up. I studied running back my whole life. That's what you want. You know what I mean? You, it, it's cool having a Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, those specialists, those guys could do pretty much a lot of different things. But when you want to, especially for you guys, you guys in the cold weather, think about December football, right? It, 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 it's chills. It, it, it's nice and cold up there in mile high. So then in that case, having a, a downhill runner like that, makes de- it, it frustrates defenses because mm-hmm. it's cool. They're going to hit you hard first, you know, early on. They're going to hit you hard first quarter. By the third, half of that third, third, halfway through the third quarter, like, man, I'm really tired of this. Like, you know, and it's cold. Every, everything, everything is amplified phys- from a physicality standpoint in the cold weather. So I think Trey Sermon would be a nice fit if you guys were to uh, lose um, Melvin. Uh, let's see. And a sleeper guy, late guy, maybe an undrafted guy, uh, Jared Dokes uh, from Cincinnati, 6'1", 225. Another physical downhill runner. Guy that has some quickness to his game, uh, functional in the passing game. So that's another guy that you can watch for as well. Uh, and then I don't know if you've watched him, but I saw yesterday that they – and again, one back that the Broncos have spoken with is actually uh, Louisville's Javian Hawkins, I think. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I looked at his profile. I haven't watched him yet. But what I, but looking at the scouting reports I've seen, he sounds like essentially like a replacement for Philip Lindsay. He's a smaller guy, exactly. feedback, can contribute in the passing game. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. What do you think of him? And are there other guys that would make sense if they go that route? Because, again, Phil Blinsey's an RFA. And I, I, I'm not trying to, like, tee you up with just names, but... No, I you're way more familiar with this class than me. Uh, I'm gonna tell you when, as when you brought up Jalen Hurts, like he's basically a replacement for Corey, for, for uh, uh, Philip Lindsay. Like small, um, small in stature, but explosive, big playmaking type of uh, type of runner. He's, he he legitimately has vicious cuts um, when he when he's really when he's forced to. He cuts back. He has uh, good vision, but he's a home run hitter, similar to how you know, like I said, with Philip Lindsay. So I think that would be if you, if you're going to especially if you're going to lose to Lindsey, yeah. that could be a guy um, that you look forward to. And I think he's going to be a late round guy. 
Um, unless he goes to his pro day and runs four two ish, his 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 frame. I think his, with his frame, he's still gonna be a guy that teams are like, you know what? I can't. I don't want to risk a, a too early of a draft capital on him. If I can get him fifth or sixth round. That's my ideal spot. Well, I always think that teams, in a lot of ways, NFL teams try to pick guys so they're defendable. Like, if the pick mm-hmm. doesn't work out, they can at least rationalize why they did it. I think that's the one thing that might hurt Devonta Smith is because, like, he's a small guy. So, like, if you take him and he doesn't hit, you're the yeah. you're the GM who took a small receiver who doesn't hit. And I think it's the same other thing for a lot of running backs. And I think, like, mm-hmm. offensive linemen, defensive – like, I think that's one of the unsung reasons why Aaron Donald fell way back when is because yeah. no one wants to take a sub-300-pound defensive tackle and then be like, oh, yeah, it turns out he was small. Granted, they look because of that, but like, I yeah, think, I it's think- it's crazy. I mean, and that's a great point. You know, the pressure of of, of drafting. You know, what I mean, the, and, and the main thing, like, it's just the fact that you got to be like, and like I said, understand who you're drafting, right? Like, yeah. from a schematic standpoint, from a play calling standpoint, know what you're doing. Because for me, when I look at a Jamar Chase, I and I did a thread on, I'm watching this tape, and he he doesn't win a, like quickly enough on the vertical. So yeah. he doesn't play with enough suddenness or quickness or snap off the line. So you see a lot of times you see DBs and one thing, I mean, one thing you don't want DBs doing is two hand jamming guys, especially, you know, you get up on Devonta Smith and you try a two hand jam, he's going to, he's going to duck, you know, duck underneath your hands and he's going to stack you and it's going to be a wrap. That's going to be a touchdown. <laughs> like you're not going to recover from that. But with Jamar Chase, a lot of times you see guys go for the two hand jam and they hit almost every time you will see his head snap back because they hit him in the chest high and he's just trying to like i always call it like martial being a martial artist like understand how to use your hands and to me he, he invites that that I, I don't know if it's willingly inviting but he invites physical press coverage and he doesn't win like he doesn't beat it easily well, so it's he, like he fights through it it, it kind of reminds me of Cortland sutton Cortland sutton his rookie year uh there was a like his second game against the raiders he just got completely shut down because they kept, they just kept getting bodies on him, and it's yeah. like once once you slow him down at the line, if he can't, if he can't get above you, he exactly. didn't know, he didn't know, how, he didn't know how to beat it. And it, that was, I think, the biggest thing he improved at going into his second year is his hand mm-hmm. usage at the line to get himself free. It is so pivotal for a receiver to know how to use his hands. That's what makes you know Devonta Smith so good. Like he's such a pure technician, and you see him whether it's in the slot, out wide. Like against Byron Singer, one of the it's going to be a top ten pick yeah, next year is. in the draft. He he torched them back to back years, back to back years over two hundred yards. Like it, it just the way he wins it's so effortless, so smooth. Like and, and don't get me wrong, people are like okay, well there's clips floating around Twitter where he's getting pushed out of bounds, right? Well, if you go to twenty nineteen, the last time we saw Jamar Chase, put on the tape. He's in the slot uh, halfway through the game against Oregon. And I think it was the, the um, I can't remember the corner's name uh, that the Miami Dolphins drafted this past draft and with their third first round pick. Oh, Noah uh, um, Agony? Yes, Noah. I believe it was Noah in a slot against him. He pretty much shaded him to the outside, gave him an inside release. He legitimately jumped Jamar Chase, jammed him at the line, and ran with him for about 10 yards going cross field. And Jamar Chase couldn't get free. He got free late. But when you watch Jamar Chase's tape, a lot of stuff that happens because he doesn't win quickly in his stems is on Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow makes plays happen. He navigates the pocket. He breaks free. He, he gets out of the, of, the, of the pressure, and then he, he extends the play and, and puts it on the money. 
So that's that's why I look at I look at Jamar Chase. I'm like, well, if I'm drafting him, I'm using him similar to because I know a lot of people are like, well, CeeDee Lamb was at wide receiver one and he proved it. No, he didn't. CeeDee Lamb was going up against third and fourth corners and linebackers in the slot. That just matters. That matters because if you put him outside when they play the Rams and he's facing Jalen Ramsey, that's a no-go for me. They're not throwing that ball to him. Well, and that's one of those huge differences that, like, and again, like, I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but, like, that's one of those big things that was different for, like, a Jerry Judy compared to a CeeDee Lamb this year is that because Colton Sutton played all of 31 snaps, Jerry Judy was playing against CB2s or CB1s most of the year, and he was facing a lot of brackets. Once people started to realize that he was actually the wide receiver one for the Broncos offense, Tim Patrick was just the one cleaning up on guys. Um, I honestly, this is, this is, I didn't give you kind of like any sort of prep for this. So I apologize, but like, I feel like, I feel like chase in a lot of ways is one of those guys that's really benefiting from the opt out. Whereas Mm -hmm. some guys are getting punished by it. Like I, I feel like Trey Lance, obviously like he's gotten the fact that he only played in one game has hurt him compared to some of the other quarterbacks. Whereas, like you see Chase and we remember Chase playing in a historic offense. So we think he's amazing. And I'm not saying he's not, but we're, we're, over, we're overlooking the warts. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've had guys, you know, come at me on Twitter about it. And I said, and they, they're like, well, um, Devonta Smith didn't take off until Jalen Waldo got hurt. So well, if you really be technical, they both are having good seasons, you know, in the first four or five games. Well, I said, the thing about it is now the difference of, and this is what makes me feel so strongly about um, Devonta Smith over Jamar Chase in a way. We saw Jamar Chase do that with uh, Thaddeus Moss and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow and a great old line and a great OC. He did all that, and he wasn't getting bracketed, right? We saw once Jalen Waller went down, yeah, John Meachie stepped up and was big time. They started getting the tight ends involved a little bit. We know Najee Harris is a stud. But teams were legitimately bracketing Devonta Smith, and he was cooking the bracket. Like it's, it's it, that translates to the NFL. And, and, and I haven't started again. I feel like I'm going to tell you this a lot. So I like, I'm just trying to kind of throw out the disclaimer because like, if I change my mind on some of these guys, like that's why, but yeah. like Marshall, Marshall played for LSU last year, playing a lot of the similar things that Chase did my understanding. Mm-hmm. And so like, if anything, that should be a red flag that Marshall stepped in, was able to produce similar kind of production and port in part doing what Chase was doing. So, like, that should it, – it Marshall should, had yeah. a great season yes. like and, before he opted out, and he was playing with multiple quarterbacks. Yes. And, and again, I'm not trying to hate on Chase. I'm just saying no. that these things mean – I look at every draft prospect with a, an idea of what, what am I appe- – like, what's appealing and what are the risks? And the fact that Marshall did that and the fact that, like, we have a year off when, when Chase was playing in a historic offense, like – you need to consider that stuff. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of evaluators and especially like media evaluators, I think NFL teams are aware of this stuff, but I think like media evaluators, a lot of them are overlooking these things or not weighing them appropriately. And I think yeah. that that's a thing that's leading to a lot of this discussion about them. And again, yeah, I'm I mean, not even, I, I may like chase may very well be the best receiver of this bunch. I'm just saying like the way he, the way he wins means that he has to find the right role. Just like every other receiver. He's not a perfect prospect. No. And, and, there is none, you know, yeah. and, and that's the thing. Like, it's all about how you got to know what you're drafting and yeah. understand the skill set. You know what I mean? People remember, what, two years ago, people went nuts on Twitter. DK Metcalf has a terrible three cone. I'm like, you want to know what the three cone really matters, guys? It matters when you're running those choice and option routes. Yep. I'm not drafting DK Metcalf to play like Julian Edelman. It doesn't make sense. 
Yep. What I'm drafting DK Metcalf is to do what he did his rookie year and what he even elevated his game to do last year. Yep. Legitimately be a dominant number one receiver. Now, granted, I do feel like they need to in- incorporate more underneath routes or use his, his vertical prowess to snap off on underneath routes because the teams are literally playing for him to go deep. And that took away – that hurt him late in the season because they're prepared for it. Yep. So run them on some cross on the deep overs. Run them on some mesh concepts. Get you know be be simplistic with it in a way um, to have to, to create more success for him. You know, yeah. Um, but if they're, if they're going to overplay you deep, you got to be able to punish them short. Exactly. So it's just like I said, this, this draft, man. Like it, it's it's so fun. Like studying these studying all these different guys. You know, from all from you know receivers to running backs to tight ends. This is I mean, last year's tight end class was pretty pretty blah for the most part. Yeah. It this was. class is, is, is much better, and not just from a top standpoint, but you guys like Tommy Trimble and um, are, Yaboa and different guys like that. Are there any lower – like, again, we, neither one of us really knows where guys are going to go, and especially, mm-hmm. like, the league, the league sometimes kind of overvalues – not overvalues, but the league values tight ends differently than a lot of people outside the league, in part because of, they value blocking a lot more yeah. than I think a lot – not saying you, but, like, in general. Um, yeah, I, yeah, think yeah. Draft, I think, like, draft analysts – that are not in the league tend to like look at the receiving first. But, but the other thing is like the Broncos, because they have Noah Fant, and then they have Albert O who's probably coming back and is going to end up being the number two. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is they have Vinette and Vinette is on a one-year deal might get cut because of cap consideration. Like they could look on day three for another tight end to serve as insurance behind them. Is there anybody that kind of like steps out to you that might be appealing for that reason? Like maybe, uh, just from from a blocking standpoint. Well, I, I would say like from like a able to kind of fill in either role if he has to, but not necessarily mm-hmm. like a standout either because Noah Fan ideally is a joker, and I think Albert O. The plan for him is to be the inline guy, tight end two, can be a weapon, but like, but that's what his. I, I think for the Broncos, that's what he's going to eventually become. Yeah. Um. But they, I, they, I, um. Let's see. I got a couple guys out. Uh, two guys that come to mind. Um, I think about Nick Eubanks from Michigan. I love him. Uh, you know, uh, 6'5", 256. He's capable of, of being a, a, a solid weapon in the pass game, but he definitely has a physicality uh, power to help you in the run game. And, and as well as a, a kind of an un, not say unknown, but kind of a sleeper guy um, from TCU Pro Wells. I think Pro Wells, he, he, he's kind of a – I think he'd be more of a, a move tight end, but – I really like his game, especially if you have Albert O. He can come in as a third, your third guy. And while you have Albert O in line, you move Noah Fant everywhere. Then you can come out with three tight end sets and kind of do, like I used to love when we did that in New England. Tom Brady come out, run heavy sets, see the defense, and like you know what? No, let's spread I, them out. You got tight ends everywhere, running back in the slot, just create those mismatches. That was one of my biggest complaints about Shermer last year is every time he came out in 13 personnel, he would run the ball. And it was like, dude, they want, they expect you to run the ball. That's when you do it. And and when you have tight ends like the Broncos had last year, it's like, dude, use them. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're they're there for a reason, you know, Uh, they're there for a reason. And and that's, that's the main thing. I've heard a lot of hype about this tackle class. What do you Mm -hmm. think of the tackle class? I really like this tackle club. Like I, I it, it, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's hard, like you know, just kind of finding, especially you know, like looking at this class. There's some really good tackles, man. Like some really good prospects, and it goes like it's kind of a deep group too. I mean, you you looking at day 
late day two, early day three. You think about a guy like Spencer Brown, it's kind of Sebastian Vollmer from when he was in New England, that 6'8", 315-pounder. Uh, he's a good mover um, laterally, but he's so good in the run game as well. Like, you know, it, it's a lot of different guys out there. James Hudson from Cincinnati. Uh, it, it's so many guys that – because I am I was looking at them, you know, granted, there's one guy, uh, Dan Moore, from uh, Texas a and I was watching him a couple weeks ago. He, he, to me, projects more as a guard. I like him more inside, potentially, than outside. But this is a very deep uh, – Alex Leatherwood, you know, from, from yeah. um, Alabama. You know, he's a – because he does have that um, versatility in 2018, he was right guard while they had Jonah, Jonah Williams at left tackle. And then he took over once Jonah Williams, uh, you know, was drafted by the Bengals in 2019. So, like, he has that scheme versatility that – positional versatility you can try him out at tackle or guard and so i was listening to the pro like, I, was ta- I was listening to pff's podcast in, like they interviewed uh joe thomas and they were mm-hmm. talking about well joe thomas was talking about how it's better to draft a guy and switch him on side like switch his side early in his career because he's still like early in his career in the nfl like you're going to be practicing more than you ever have in college anyway so like exactly. if a guy shows the ability to learn that he's likely to be able to kind of iron it out and figure it out early. And, and mm-hmm. one of the things I really like the Bron- like the Broncos situation this year with tackle is kind of weird because Juwan James is like, he's locked into a spot because it costs too much to cut him. Mm-hmm. But because they gave an extension to Garrett Bowles, that really kicks in in 2022, unless yeah. the cap really jumps, they're going to probably have to make a move on Juwan James in 2022. So they like, they, the good news with that is they kind of know it. And they have a year to mm-hmm. maybe grab a guy that Mike Munchak can coach up in the time between. Uh, so that's like where I'm at. And I like Leatherwood a lot. I've liked Leatherwood a while. The one concern I have with Leatherwood is he has had issues with speed, uh, yeah. especially from like wide nine. So like I am kind of concerned with that, but I like the fact that he could p- possibly be a guard. Because again, like I don't know if Graham Glasgow is a long-term solution. And Natani Mute, as much as I like him, he has a long injury history. So like, it's not a sure thing that he will solve the issue either. So like, mm-hmm. I like Leatherwood and the fact that like, you'll be able to find a spot for him somewhere. And yeah. I like you on down blocks. So like, if he plays right tackle, the Broncos with their pin and pull, a lot of times that right tackle looks a lot like a guard anyway. Correct. And I mean, and like I said, this is a class where you can draft a tackle and, and like Walker Little. He hasn't played since I believe maybe early 2019, late 2020, uh, late 2018. Oh yeah. Cause he got hurt and then he opted out this year and whatnot. So uh, he's been training like crazy, uh, getting ready for the draft. I've seen a lot of his videos, him just working, working him out, working on his explosiveness and everything like that. He's a guy you bring, you can bring him in. Like you said, early on, you can flip him to the right side, let him sit behind Juwan James for the 2021 season, allow him to again, you know, grow even more. Cause he's, He's not small. He's not a small guy, but I think he still has room to fill out his frame yeah. in the NFL weight program. So if he adds on another maybe five or seven pounds of muscle and not lose his quickness or his agility, now you know, he sits behind Juwan James and Mike, you know, Mike Munchak has his weight with him to develop him mentally and, and have him watch the game from a bird's eye view. When you do have, if you have to make a move on Juwan James in 2022, you have a guy that can step in. Walker Little is a weird one for me too, because like, I've seen him considered a first round guy by a couple people. And I've seen him mm-hmm. all the way down, in some mock draft machines. I've seen him all the way down on day three. And he's always a guy like, if I see him on day three, I take a chance because it's like, 
you have Munchak. Like, if I'm the Broncos, I am all for gambling on guys like that because Munchak is going to get the most out of them. Exactly. It, it, it's, a, it's really, really important. And as I say, I mean, and then, I mean, we talked about it earlier that home cooked meal. I, I know for a fact people, media analysts, fans hated Garrett Bowles for a long time I'm because good. he was struggling. I mean, because he, str- he, he was struggling. Don't get me wrong. But he had everything from a physical standpoint yes. to be an elite left tackle. Up here is where he had to get his game. You know, he had to progress mentally, man. And, and, and you saw that. And that to me is like, if I'm like, I, one of the big, like, I, I'm really, I think I'm known at this point on Broncos Twitter for being really, really vocal about the fact that the Broncos need to give Fangio a fair shot. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I say that, and like, like I've stuck to this and I believe this unless like, again, unless he falls apart this year, because if Drew Locke is bad, but the rest yeah. of the, uh, but the rest of the Broncos looks promising, I think they should wait on Fangio. But one of the big reasons for it is his coaching staff is quite good. And like, I'm afraid that if they fire Fangio, Munchak's out the door too. And that's, that's a huge loss. Like he's one of the yeah. best offensive line coaches in football. Like you hold on to that guy. Um, because yeah. again, it allows you to get the most out of a Garrett Bowles. It allows you to take swings on guys like Natani Muti, knowing you're probably going to get the most out of them. Because the thing is, once these guys hit free agency, like if, if Garrett Bowles hit free agency and you sign him then, you're paying a premium in hopes that you can recreate the situation that made him look like an all-pro player. Like, exactly. I, and to, to your point, like I don't like fast food meals at offensive line. I don't think it makes sense. No. Uh, and, and, <clears throat> I, I'm, just, I, I'm just from the aspect of allow guys – to, you know, give them a fair shot. You know what I mean? You see too many times, it's a microwave society. The Eagles, we saw Carson Wentz play great ball, and good to great ball for a couple years. He has a terrible season. The team, in my opinion, was terrible itself yep. in Philly. You know, the front office, terrible. Coaching staff, terrible. It was terrible from top to bottom. But the one guy you blame is Carson Wentz, right? Meanwhile, you got receivers not separating well. You got bad play calling. Um, offensive line is injured, like out the wazoo. Like everybody's hurt on the O line. Like they're at one point they were down four starters. So it's just like, what do you expect a quarterback to do? Not only that, but that front office and head and coaching staff drafted the quarterback in the second round, knowing that they had issues at linebacker, knowing they had issues at receiver, they, they had issues in the secondary, different things like that. Instead of this is how you okay. This is how you ruin a guy's confidence. Hey, I'm drafting your replacement early. Like that makes if you want to. I understand it, and, and I've heard Bucky Brooks and different guys, and it makes sense, and I agree with it. Invest in the backup quarterback position, but I look at it from okay. Let me get a Ryan Fitzpatrick or a Gardner Minshew or Brian Hoyer. Let me get somebody that isn't a threat to my star quarterback rather than drafting a guy right after the first round and think it's okay. Well, and so I disagree, I disagree with parts of this and I, and like, I'm so I, I feel like the strategy, the strategy to draft Jalen hurts makes sense only if you have the kind of coaching staff and like infrastructure in place to like manage like the actual chemistry of it all. And like, there were reports by the end that like Peterson and Wentz weren't even talking to each other. Like, so like I, I under like, I don't, I'm kind of like, I understand why they hit reboot on it all. I think the Eagles are screwed. Like, I think like their cap situation is a nightmare. Like they're as bad off as the saints, except they have less talent on their actual roster. So like they're headed for the dumpster this year. And it's going to be weird to try and evaluate if Jalen hurts is really the guy. 
because he's going to have a really bad situation to try and play through. But like, I do agree with your point that like, it, it, we're really quick to always blame the quarterback. And again, I know this sounds weird because again, like I'm ready to ship Drew Locke out of town too, but, <laughs> but like my rationale for this, like from the Broncos perspective is I'm not ready to ship Drew Locke out of town because of his 2020. I just, I didn't believe in Drew Locke before they draft him. I thought he was a, a C tier quarterback. Like you're take a swing yeah. second round. It makes sense. But like we, I feel like we've seen enough to know, like, I don't necessarily think he's ever going to be a top guy. That's like, again, like right. kind of like a roundabout with that. Um, no, but I do, I mean, I do but I do think your point with Wentz is a good one because again, like they, 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 they ate a ton of money to move him. And not only that, they fired Peterson, brought a new guy and then they, they shipped Wentz off. So it's like, like the, the plan in Philly makes very little sense to me right now. And granted, like they're essentially headed for purgatory for a while anyway, yeah, but it just, yeah. They basically just they, they shot themselves in the foot just to kind of get rid of everybody. Like again, it's an optics decision. It looks like one. And the crazy thing is, you, you ship him out of town, and you ship him to a dream scenario for him. Yeah, he goes back to a guy that he trusts. That I mean, and and people can say what they want, but remember the reports about how Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy's relationship was, and Aaron Rodgers was changing players at at the line of scrimmage uh, from what Mike McCarthy called in, and then he gets Matt Lafleur. And everything's cool, right? He he yep. once he buys into the system. Well, Carson Wentz is going to a situation where this is his guy. Frank Reich is his guy. And, and not only that, they have a great O line, a great run game, you know, and they got young weapons. They just got I think they need to go out and get Zach Ertz from Philly and let's go ahead and just make this a pairing to give him his number one guy at the tight end spot, because their tight end spot's a little shaky. Um, but that that's the crazy part about it, because I could legitimately see Wentz being in the playoffs. And like you said, the Eagles being at the bottom of the, of the NFC's rankings. Yep. Uh, no, I and I honestly like I I get it because they got a lot of capital from them, and that conditional pick could turn out to be pretty good. But yeah. there's a lot of potential for Philly to get a lot of egg on their face for this move. Yes, it, it very much so. Because at the end of the day, like I, and like I said, I understand the concept of wanting to have a backup, a quality backup quarterback. Second round just wasn't it for me. Especially yeah. with the team that you, well, the roster that you have, I feel like there's so many other impact players on the board, and I hate that we're in a society now where you know what? Because I, 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 I tweeted it out a couple of weeks, uh, a week or two ago. Look back at the 2011 draft. You got JJ Watt and other guys falling in the first round just for Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert and Christian Ponder, and I'm just like, th- this is what happens when you overvalue the quarterback position. I kind of feel like someone's going to do that this year with Mac Jones. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, yep. Hopefully it's not the Broncos. I know the Broncos did take Christian. Ponder, <laughs> or not the Broncos. The, the George Payton Vikings took Christian. Yes, Ponder. Christian so, like, Ponder. So, it's, so it is, it is a concern of mine, but I, 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 I hope that that's not what happens. I like uh, Mac Jones, but just not in the top 15. Oh, it's just, no, I, and I, do, and I do, I definitely don't want Matt Jones. And I do think people, I do think someone's going to do it. Uh, I think so too. So I got well, let's pivot a little bit to defense just because like mm-hmm. it looks like the Broncos are going to work out a deal with Von Miller or at least that's like what the word is as like we're recording this but the way Ian Rappaport reported it it sounded like they were going to turn down his option and then resign him again mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what's going to happen and I'm, that might just yeah. be me misinterpreting it so like I'm not but like yeah, yeah. edge is still very much a question whether Von Miller's on the roster or not it's just a matter yeah. of like what how big a need it is. 
Um, because like obviously, if Von Miller's back for the long term, they still need somebody to replace Jeremiah Tachu, so they're still looking for like an edge four. Plus, like Malik mm-hmm. Reed is quickly approaching like con- like a new contract, and if they keep Von Miller, they're not going to pay Malik Reed and Bradley Chubb, so like they'll end up needing an edge some point. And uh, the George Payton Vikings, like during like the run that George Payton was with the Vikings, they took quite a few edges in the late, like the second day to third day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, like Danielle Hunter was a, was a second day guy who was just a really toolsy guy who fell. Um, are there any kind of like guys who stand out to you that might be kind of in that kind of mold? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, yeah. But definitely. I mean, and this is a pretty good uh, edge group. I love it. Depth and, 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 and talent. I, I really I really like him. One, one of my favorite guys. And I, I was, I'm not going to lie to you. I think he would look great in Denver. From Ohio State, uh, Jonathan Cooper, you know, 6'2", 254, 255. You pop on tape, uh, I think he, he, he can get better against the run on the edge, but he can really flat out get after the passer. Uh, strong frame, quick first step. He can bull rush. He can rush outside, um, counter with the inside move. Another guy, I don't know how – his name is starting to pick up a little bit. Ronnie Perkins from uh, yeah. Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Jake? I think I, I think he could be a you know a day two day three guy, but I think his name is catching steam right now. Let's you I haven't watched him yet. I'm like working my way to Oklahoma because I want to actually watch Spencer Rattler at one point. Just because again, like oh, everyone's yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, I have seen Perkins considered a first round guy. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him in the top fifty, and then mm-hmm. I clicked on Lance Zerline's scouting report. In Lance Zerline's scouting report from NFL.com, like. He gave him like a third a third day grade, so like people seem really split on him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, so again, I, he he he's a guy, similar to uh, to Cooper. Got to get him, you know, developed as a run defender, setting the edge. But he's so violent and physical, and comes off the ball well against the against the pass rush. And there's times where he uses a straight arm bull rush and just tosses an old, old lineman. Uh, whether it's a guard or a tackle, just making them lose their footing and, and gets back there. And he plays with when he, especially when he, he's playing motivated with his hair on fire. He pinned those ears back. He can be a very good rusher, a very quality guy. Um, one guy that that really intrigued me, just from a from a measurable standpoint, from UAB, um, Jordan Smith, six six two fifty five. Um, I think his frame. He's a little, little slender frame because he's tall and long linear athlete, but I think, you know, you know, get him into the NFL weight program. I think he could add on maybe 10 pounds or so, go up, jump up to 265. And like, he's, he's an intriguing guy as a pass rusher because he's so tall, so long, got long arms when he's a straight arm. Like you can't, yeah, those physical abilities and, and measurements, you can't coach. So just watching him try to, watching him develop, I think he could develop into a very good pass rusher. Um, You know, you look at the, Kind of OCU Minora, uh, JPP type of guys, those long, quick, uh, kind of violent-handed guys who know how to use their length to keep you out of their out of their chest. I think he could be that type of guy. And one of those things too, and this is this is one of those things I really I used to think that 
I had a type at Edge Rusher because I always mm-hmm. liked really toolsy guys. But the yeah. more I've dug into like the analytics behind like successful draft picks and stuff, like Edge is like like one of those positions where like the tools matter a ton. Like like Shaq Barrett stands out as a real outlier because he didn't come out with really really good physical tools. That's why he went undrafted, and he's yeah. like gone on to become really good. But generally, if you look at like the top edge rushers in the NFL, they all have they're all elite athletes. Yep, exactly. And, and, and I mean, because I'm I don't I'm not sure what you guys are gonna do with uh, you know um, of course we don't know what you guys are gonna do with um, Von Miller. You know, if he comes yeah, yeah. if he does come back, you know, it's great, right? But um, but definitely, I love Bradley Chubb. So bringing in and I mean, it's crazy because you guys had. But I think you guys had – did you have Shaq Barrett along with Bradley Chubb and Va- Vaughn Miller? Yeah, at one point. No, 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 wait, wait. wait. Like, so, did, y'all tra- did, did y'all get rid of Shaq Barrett because of Bradley Chubb? Kind of, yeah. So, like, the whole okay. time, the whole timeline of it's really kind of weird. Uh, so, and again, like, I don't want to bore you with too much of this. But, like, it's like the Broncos had DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller, and then they drafted Shane Ray in the first round, and then they brought in Shaq Barrett. So, at one point, they had all four of those. And then at one point, Shane Ray was, like, looking pretty good. Like, he's a little stiff, but, like, he was a good third edge rusher. And then what ended up happening is, like, uh, DeMarcus Ware ended up retiring. Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray were supposed to be, like, the guys taking all the pressure off Vaughn. Well, Shane Ray, like, he hurt his wrist, and then he just never got back to, like, what he was. And then Shaq Barrett was kind of going through some injury stuff of his own. Like, he got hurt, like, two years. And so, Mm -hmm. Elway, when he had the chance to get Bradley Chubb, because Bradley Chubb slipped by Cleveland because they took uh they took a cornerback. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, who's actually really good. I'm just like I'm blanking. But uh <laughs> but but because because Chubb fell to them, they took him. But then because they took Chubb in the first, they weren't gonna keep Shaq Barrett, and Shaq Barrett knew it. Like Shaq Barrett wanted to go and get a chance to be a star edge rusher to prove himself. So he signed yeah. that like short term contract to prove it deal with Tampa, blew up, and then now he's on the tag, and like he's gonna get paid in free agency because of it. So, like, the Broncos chose Bradley Chubb over Quentin Nelson, and then because of it, they lost Shaq Barrett. And again, like, you, you can argue that was good, bad, otherwise, but, like, that's actually kind of what happened. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, I mean, because I love Bradley Chubb. So, um, I'm off, because what I think about, you know, I'm an offensive guy, but I'm, I'm a mismatch type of guy. I'm a yeah. matchup type of guy. So, I think about the fact of, okay, even if you keep uh, Bradley, if you, you have Bradley Chubb, you keep Lon Miller. I, you know, I think about, you know, like I said, looking at, at those different guys, um, whether it was a Jordan Smith or, um, you know, Ronnie Perkins, <clears throat> uh, another name, Hamlakar, Rashad, Rashad. Oh, I Trump love Jr. him. I love yes, him. Explosive, explosive yeah. first step. So, I mean, you think about it, if you draft him in the, in the mid to late rounds and then you go into your kind of a NASCAR package, now you kick, I'm good with kicking Bradley Chubb inside. And over head up over the guard and having Hamlakar rush one on one with Von Miller on the other side. And one thing that uh, because last year like without Von Miller, Big Fangio was kind of like playing around a lot with different pressure packages to try and win, like you know win pat you know. And one of the things they did that I really liked, they only did a little bit, but uh, Bradley Chubb they essentially played him as an off ball and just lined him up over guards. And mm-hmm. if you if you bring in like right now, if Von Miller comes back, they have Malik Reed, Von Miller, and they're able to do that. But if they draft a guy and he succeeds they could have that going forward even if Malik Reed leaves after his RFA tender for a payday. And I hope he does. Like, again, I like Malik Reed a lot. I just know, like, again, if you extend Von Miller, they pick up Bradley Chubb's fifth option, fifth year option. 
Like Malik Reed is not going to stay in Denver long term because he's going to want to probably get paid if he's developing as everybody hopes. Yeah, exactly. So it just makes sense. It makes sense to kind of draft ahead knowing that. Um, Speaking of drafting ahead, thing one position group that I really hope Denver looks at this year is safety. Because this safety, like free agency looks really loaded at safety and the draft looks pretty good at safety. And not only that, but if they're if they're looking to draft for the Fangio system, there are a couple of guys who have shown that they're really good in like a split safety role. Yeah. And like that asks something of safety is that like like and again, like I wanna I wanna I wanna kinda go into this a little bit just because like a lot of listeners aren't gonna like a lot of listeners won't have known this, I guess. And not mm-hmm. to like but like the Fangio defense, because they play too high, the safety has to be able to run the alley. Fangio will ask them to cover slots. They will cover tight ends. They will cover number three trips. Like if the guy goes on a deep crosser, that a lot of times that's the safety's job. So like a safety in the Fangio system has to be able to play in coverage. He has to be able to cover in man. He has to be able to run the alley. He has to be able to play the run if they if they spin down. So like you need to be able to do it all to be a safety and be successful in the Fangio defense, which is one reason why I think Will Parks has had trouble in the Fangio defense is because there's just so much. Um yeah. I like Morig. I haven't watched a lot of him yet, but I like Morig out of TCU. Oh, yeah. I have seen mm-hmm. him floated as a first round guy, so I am not confident that the Broncos could get him in the second. <laughs> I have I also have seen a little bit of Richie Grant. I like him. But are there mm-hmm. other guys that kind of stand out to you that could be good? Yes. Um I actually have yeah, I swear I'll keep uh I have him in my in my holster, my roller decks. I just need to put them out on Twitter. A couple of clips. Javon Holland. Safety um, from Oregon. He's a he's a kind of jack of all trades type of guy. He could play like, too high, like he could play single high as well. But he's so good as a big dime, big nickel um, defender. He's extremely intelligent. Talked with him, um, and he was pretty much like you know him and his partner Verone McKinley were like the QBs of the defense. And you could see, when you watch their tape, you could see it. He's aligned. He's making sure guys are lined up. He's he he doesn't fall for the eye candy of all the motions and ghosts and jet and all stuff like that. He's so technically sound. He can tackle and he's great. He plays, he plays the ball very well. Also drops into zones. He can play man to man coverage. Actually, if you um, uh, watch the 2019 tape of uh, Oregon versus USC, you will see him man them a lot of times with a Monterey Tate Brown. It was such a fun matchup to watch. Those two were going at it. Um, Javon won some reps. Amon Ra won some reps. It was just a really fun matchup. And to watch him cover receivers, watch him cover tight ends, and I and I told it to him. I said, going into the league with your skill set, teams are going to want you to play man to man against tight ends. He said, I'm comfortable with that. So he's a guy that you can also grab. Um, if you want, especially when you're looking at too high, um, I look at a Paris Ford from Pitt. Uh, from Pitt, um, six foot. I mean, he's not, he's not a big guy, but he's 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 aggressive. He's physical. Got speed. Uh, can cover ground. But one guy I really really like in the late rounds too. Uh, I actually tweeted out a clip of him blasting um, Devonta Smith. Tyree Gillespie, six foot, two oh seven from Missouri, heavy hitter. He trade. He's a quick trigger guy coming downhill. Um, you know, he gets from point A to B really well. Uh, fluid as well, dropping off in the coverage. But when I tell you, he will make an impact in the run game if you want to put him in that kind of Cam Chancellor role. Because that's kind of like I see him as a Cam Chancellor light guy. With more a little bit more coverage ability, I believe coverage potential. Rather, you bring him down in the box as that big, you know, that big nickel, big safety um, in those sets when you're trying to stop the run, and just let him like kind of play 
play around and do what he has to do and dropping off into curl of flats or, or hook zones, he can do that as well. I really like him, and I think someone's going to get a, a really good player, whether it's a role player or a quality starter for the next seven to ten years. Do you think Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa is a safety or a linebacker? For me, linebacker. I, I, I like him in the 43 as a will. Um, yeah. Just that sideline to sideline defender. He can, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I think similar to Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons, you could use him also as a, as a safety um, if you want to. You can drop him all, you can line him up at linebacker and, and run a, a, a typical coverage where you he replaces the safety, safety comes barreling down following the motion, whatever the case may be, and he just replaces them and goes deep because he can do that. He's good in man-to-man coverage as well. This, you know, you talk pop on tape, you see him against slot receivers. He's a very talented guy, and I don't think he makes it out of the top 25 Same. at all. It, my, my issue with him, and, and I've said this before, but, like, one of my big issues with him is just, like, the valuation of him compared to, like, how he would fit in the Broncos defense because, like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's an inside linebacker in a 3-4. And while like the Broncos are going to play nickel 60 plus percent of the time, does it make sense to draft a guy who's probably going to be like, probably like a nickel overhang in like nickel. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. like miscast in the three, four, like it doesn't, if, if the Broncos were to take him high to me, that's a sign that they are looking past Fangio. I don't think it's going to happen, but like that's, but I'm, I'm very curious to see where he lands. I think Isaiah Simmons, like he just had too much on his plate in a COVID year is what I think yeah. happened. I think like going forward, he's gonna look he's gonna look like we all expected him to down the road because Vance Joseph has shown he knows how to use that guy. He did it in 2018. It's just I think COVID created an issue for him. Oh, definitely, definitely. And um, I I I think you know going forward, like they just have to be like again we talked about it earlier, playing to you know use these guys similar to their usage in college. Don't pigeonhole Isaiah Simmons just to an inside backer when he's just not that's not his skill set. He can play inside. He can blitz off the edge. He can play overhang. He can line up in the slot. He can play deep, single high safety. You know, ask Justin Fields. He picked him off in, in the semifinals game, um, you know, last last year in 2019. I love so, that. Play. That play was yeah, awesome. He baited him well, and he showed his elite speed yep. to get from that far hash to that sideline, and he was, made the play. It was really painful to watch him coming out because it was one of those things, like, I loved him, and it was one of those things that in the, in the defense that I thought could use him, I thought he – he was one of those guys you'd trade up for. I just knew that it wasn't going to be the Broncos. So it was like, I, I don't mm-hmm. want him to be a Bronco, but I hope he doesn't land in division because I don't want him to punish me for 10 years either. And it's kind of, <laughs> that's how I feel about, that's how I feel about joke too. Like, it's just like, I think he's going to be really good if he goes to the right situation. I just mm-hmm. worry that he's going to go to a bad situation. Cause it's, and again, this is true of all prospects, but it's like, if somebody just tries to jam him in the box, I think it's going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And like I said, just just play to their play to their strengths and their and their and their skill sets. Are there other other linebackers in this? Like, so I've watched. I feel like I've watched a lot of the, like top like top guys, uh, mm-hmm. and I need to kind of work my way down because George Payton, when he was with the Vikings, they took I think I want to say it was more linebackers on day three than any other position. I might have that wrong because I'm not looking at it right now, but like linebackers jumped a ton. Like they barely took guys on the first two days. Like it was like Eric Kendricks, uh, Anthony Barr. But then, like, you look at day mm-hmm. three, and it was, like, all these picks. Like, they just they, – they swing on linebackers. Uh, are there guys that kind of stand out to you that could be that? Yeah, so I, there, there's a couple guys. This is a good linebacker group, too. And when you're looking at day three type of guys, I'm looking at West Virginia um, linebacker Tony Fields. He's a converted safety, I believe, uh, 6'1", 222. 
um, Ohio State linebacker, um, Justin Hill, uh, Hilliard, KJ Britt from Auburn, um, you know, especially from a, you know, look at Tough Borland, um, and, and Buddy Johnson is one of my, probably one of my favorites uh, from, from Texas A&M. He's just such a, such a football, he's just a football player. And I, lo- I love, I love what he did, what he's able to do, especially inside the box. How does Buddy look in coverage? I need to watch more of them. Um, okay. I, I didn't see too. I didn't see too many reps against coverage, but I need to just watch more of them. This is it's one of those another one of those positions that's really weird for the Broncos because Alexander Johnson's almost definitely back this year. But mm-hmm. Alexander Johnson is already really quickly approaching thirty, and the Broncos might not want to extend him past this year, based on the fact that like he's an elite run defender. But I don't know necessarily if he's like a top like I don't know if you necessarily win with him in coverage. He played really yeah. well. In 2019, 2020, I thought he was good, but they could feasibly try and get more range there. And, and I'm not sure necessarily how George Payton's going to value that. So I, I'm really curious about this linebacker class as a whole because last year the Broncos really went out of their way to try and get a coverage guy to pair with Alexander Johnson. Mm-hmm. But like because of Alexander Johnson's long-term status, they may very well just try and find linebackers everywhere. So yeah. um. Britt, Britt out of Auburn's another guy that I've been really curious about because he's such a violent hitter. Yes, yes, uh, I, I really like him. I, mean, I saw him at the saw him at the Senior Bowl. Um, he's not the best athlete, but um, you know, like I said, he's a violent hitter in the run game. He's effective. I, I like what he's able to do. He to me, I think he just has to get a little bit better um, with his tackling. Make sure that he's square up because a lot of, you know a lot of a lot of guys like they don't fully break down. They use full. 100% uh, technique. They'll try to, you know, throw a shoulder or, you yeah. know, whatever the case may be. Just clean that up a little bit. I think he's a, a, a interesting prospect. One of my favorite linebackers in this class, honestly, is Baron Browning from uh, yeah. from Ohio State. I, I love, love Baron too. Browning. Like, I think he he's a versatile guy. I could see him playing off-ball linebacker in, like, a 34 inside, and I could see him playing a 4-3 Will or, or Sam. I can honestly see him playing that uh, uh, kind of Bradley Chubb type role in the 34. My, my thing is this, like everybody loves Micah Parsons because he's such a good edge rusher. And again, like I'm not saying he's not like I've watched Micah Parsons. I get yeah. it. But the thing is like, would you rather spend a first round pick on Micah Parsons to do what you could probably grab Baron Browning to do on day two? Like Baron Browning is like probably right in this. Like he's probably like 85% of like what Micah Parsons is as an edge player. But you're not going to have to spend a first round pick to get him. No, he's a he's a legit athlete too. Like yeah, Baron Bryant is a legit athlete. Uh, so one, we talked a little bit of corner. Are there? I like Elijah Molden. I haven't watched a lot of the later round corners yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that the Broncos just brought in uh the Northwestern guy. I'm trying to. Oh crap! Greg, uh, Newsom. Greg Newsom. Yeah. Say thank you. Mm-hmm. But uh. And I've seen, like, again, Daniel Jeremiah is floating him as a potential first-rounder. So, like, it's one of those I things where, like, him. the valuation of, like, where he is could be way different. Like, like back, you know, before we all started to get – like, not you, but, like, I started to get really into it. I kept hearing mm-hmm. that this cornerback class was crap, like, after the top three. But, yeah. like, now all of a sudden, like, I like Molden quite a bit. And, like, Newsom, like, if Newsom's getting first-round hype, like, this corner class isn't as bad as, like, people were saying. It's not. It's really not. They're they're – You'll be able to find different level, um, different role guys in this in this class, and guys that right now are legitimately um, rising. Kelvin John, Kelvin Joseph from yep. Kentucky. I haven't watched him yet, but I've seen a lot of his name. See his name. 
um, you know, floating around. People are really high on them now. Uh, Benjamin St. Juiced from Minnesota, Israel Mukwamu, um, um, uh, Ambry Thomas from Michigan. You you watch you watch Mukwamu. So tell me more about him because I, I like I he's one of those guys like when I do the mock machines I read mm-hmm. the report and I'm like hey I like him a lot like he sounds good. Um, I feel like he's a bigger boundary corner based on like what I've read. And I don't know necessarily how he looks in off because, again, I haven't watched him yet. Like, I watched a little Horn, but I was so focused on Horn, I didn't really watch him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, to me, he is um, he is more of an outside corner. He does have sub-package slot appeal. Now, there's uh, if you watch him against um, Ole Miss, he plays some single high safety as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, he plays some, all, he, so he plays some um, off nickel as well against Elijah Moore, uh, which was a fun battle to watch those two because it's such a size difference. With Mukwamo being like 6'4", 6'5", and Elijah Moore is like 5'10", uh, 5'11". It's such a – their skill sets are so different but um, and from an athletic standpoint. But I like Mukwamo, and I think he can be you – know, he's a he's a press corner. But he has some hit fluidity and, and quickness in his, in his hips and his feet to transition and turn and move uh, that you don't usually see from a guy his size. Because he's not just 6'4", six, 6'5", six, whatever. He's a big kid. He's a big kid as well strapping good size good frame for a physical to be physical um and he's got great hands great hands reactionary player as well good vision so i think he like i said he and to see him playing that deep safety I, it first it shocked me because i was watching the tape i was like wait is that israel i was like at safety and i was like oh man and he played he did well he did well there and again like i i haven't focused on him enough to so so i apologize if this is a dumb question would it be possible for the Broncos to draft him and eventually have him replace Kareem Jackson? Like, could he become a safety in the league, or is he a corner? I think he could. I think he could play safety. Um, I think and he it, could play. I think he could play deep and kind of some strong. Because I think when I look at, like I said, I'm always a matchup guy. So I think about remember late in Brandon Brown's career, what uh, Bill Belichick did to him when he came yep. to New England. He played them against predominantly big receivers and tight ends. So, like, I think when you train, if he transitions late in, later on in his career from corner to safety, that's the mold you kind of run with, where you bring him down in the box and you allow him to face up with those the Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey's and Darren Wallers of the world. But he probably like as a corner, he probably makes more sense in like the the Patriots scheme, like a man scheme. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like him more a man. Uh, so. Do you want to do a live mock or do you not want to do a live mock? No, probably not tonight. <laughs> no, 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 it's totally, no, it's totally, totally cool. Good. No, totally cool. Um, so I guess, because uh, I, I, I want, I can't let you go without. I at least, are there any other sleepers that you think that the Broncos should consider? Just like uh, so, overall, like you're, you're like a my guys. If you have any of my guys that you just like, man, like I got a couple. Because my whole thing is like. People, and again, I do this too, but like we overvalue the draft and the fact that like they're, it's a lottery. It's a, you know, like even first round picks have a 50 to 55% chance of like hitting from like a historical standpoint. So like for me, like if I'm going to be wrong, I'd rather be wrong betting on the guys that I like just truly believe in. So like, so like, where are you, where are you at? Do you have any guys? Yeah, I I have a couple guys, man. I mean, you know, at the receiver position, I, I like Des Fitzpatrick from Louisville. Um, you know, Johnson Adams from Arkansas State. But one of my favorite receivers in this entire class is Shai Smith from South Carolina. He is a dude, like route running, crisp, 
cuts, precise movements, very uh, a natural separator as well. Um, Josh Palmer from uh, from Tennessee, throw out the stat book because his quarterback play just was not great. Like you put Josh Palmer in Oregon, you send him to Alabama, you send him to cut with Kyle Trask in Florida, and he has much better numbers. And that's really what gets draft Twitter and analytics yeah, Twitter going because they don't really watch these, they don't watch the tape. And they, honestly, they don't have the tape of these guys, right? They don't have the all 22, majority of them don't. Uh, so they are really kind of on YouTube watching yep. stuff and you don't get the full, the full perspective of a prospect watching on YouTube. Trust me, I know. Um, so like once you get to all 22, it's, it, it changes everything. But Josh Palmer, explosive, fast, he, he shifts gears and he has insane body control with strong hand-eye coordination. He makes some ridiculous catches, mainly because the ball was usually off target and he had to make those catches. But um, he had he had great reps against J.C. Horn. I've seen him against Israel Mukwamu. He beat and burnt uh, Patrick Sertain uh, in, in this year as well on the outside on the fade no, out. And no so, one beat Sertain. Yeah, no. So, like, for St. Sertain really didn't get beat that often, especially vertically. But he was able to win win against him. So, definitely, um, Josh Palmer is one of my guys. Uh, let's see. I thought a couple more. I'll go to a uh, different position here. Second, so of course I already talked about Baron Browning. He's one of my guys. I, I love Baron Browning. Um, I love Asante Samuel Jr. Um, really? I really like him, and he kind of reminds me of Jason Verrett. I think Verrett is a better at was a better athlete coming out faster, um, but from a quickness standpoint, how his feet are able to mirror and match and run routes with receivers that that's such a strong component of playing corner, especially in man being able to be under control. Shoulders over your feet, you know, you know, in a good posture. You're not over there over leaning or leaning back too far. Your your back pedal isn't garbage. He's just technically sound. You can tell he's up. His dad played. You could tell that, right? But he has the instinct similar to his father to make plays on the football that I really love a lot. One guy I'm gonna throw a name I throw out and uh, Ifatu Melonfangu, uh, another guy I really like. I think he could play both corner and safety. Six two two twelve from uh, Syracuse. Yep. yep. I really like him, um, and he has a partner in Syracuse, Trill Williams, who I'll be watching later on this uh, this weekend. The Broncos just uh, talked to him, so Trill. Yeah, yeah. Good. He's he's versatile, man. He's really versatile. From what from the little bit I saw from him, I was like, okay, so he can play both uh, safety and corner. So I'm really going to get into his film and see him live this weekend. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on again. If you don't already follow Damian on Twitter. He is at DP underscore NFL. You can also find his work at the Crocker Report. He is coming out with a designated deep threat. Go check it out. Because, again, the Broncos are going to probably be chasing that guy. So thank you so much for I your time. I also have a mock draft coming out soon, too. Check so, that out because I love mock yeah, drafts. Sure. I will, uh, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Anytime, man.